It was the height of my basketball career, eighth grade. Back when I thought I was going to be the next Larry Bird, but as you can see, I ended up about a foot short. And my basketball skills nowhere near that level. But we had a pretty good team. You know, our eighth grade team had height. We had ball handlers, good defenders, good passers. We beat pretty much everybody we played. And as I was studying this First Corinthians reading for this sermon, I could almost smell the hardwood of this one grade school basketball tournament in particular. So we had run through the tournament. We had beaten pretty much everybody. We had beaten everybody pretty handily. We get to the championship game, and I remember looking at the team on the other side of the court. Six guys from this tiny school in this tiny town, all of them five foot four or shorter. And I'm thinking to myself, this is going to be the easiest one ever. We're going to walk through this, no problem, not breaking a sweat, get the championship. Well, it took about two minutes to realize that there was a reason why they had made it this far too, just like we did. All these guys, lights out, three-point shooters, suffocating defense. Their offense was so complex, we were scrambling to catch up. They ran us out of the gym. Why? Well, we didn't take them seriously, right? We had this complacent attitude thinking, okay, this is not an opponent that we really need to deal with. This will be easy. And that complacency cost us the championship. It just got me thinking about our spiritual life, right? You and I both face temptations and challenges every day. We have that opponent of Satan and the sinful flesh within that come at us day in, day out. And it can get really easy to not take them seriously. And when that complacent attitude starts setting in, temptations seem impossible to beat. So when temptations strike in your life, what's going to be your game plan? How are you going to beat them? Well, the Corinthians in our reading thought they had the perfect game plan. Now, Corinth was this incredible city. If you flew through it or if you walked down the main street of it, you would see just sports stadiums everywhere, always stuff to do, houses of worship scattering the landscape. It was a neat, neat place. And the Christians in this city were even more special. They could do things like speaking in languages they never took classes in. They, they had all these gifts God had given them. First and foremost, that they were baptized, that they believed God's word things that you and I have as well. They gathered together after they had instruction, they had the Lord's Supper, and they had this unity and this family feel. Maybe the Corinthian Christians aren't too much different than the Christians who are in this church right now here at Christ Lutheran Church. And look at what Paul says about these Corinthians. You're my ancestors in the faith. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. See, these Corinthians, just like you and me and now Seth, were baptized. They had this place in God's family that was untouchable. It was their identity. They had the Bible, and they learned from a pastor named Paul, one of the greatest pastors of all time. They had all these spiritual gifts. And the foundation of their faith, the foundation of what they believed, was Jesus, just like the Israelites 3,500 years ago, and just like us 2,000 years later. 
But see, this is where, at least if I was a Corinthian sitting in church that the Sunday that this letter from Paul was read, this is where this comparison kind of starts to break down. Like, I get that we have all these spiritual gifts, but think about these Israelites. All the times they complained, God gave them literally bread from heaven and they complained about it. God prepared a meal for them and they threw it away. I'm not like them, Paul, okay? That, I don't grumble against God. I'm not as foolish. I'm not as wayward as those Israelites. But as Paul goes on with this bleeding pastoral heart, he opens your eyes and he opens mine too. Look what he says next. He says, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. These are examples for us. Paul, what does this have to do with me? I've never been struck down in the wilderness, right? I've never said to God face to face that he doesn't mean anything to me. I'm not like those Israelites, Paul. But then it hits you. God had these things written down for me and for you. And that's humbling. Look at what Paul says next. He warns the Corinthians and you and me, do not be idolaters just as some of them. See, the Israelites, they had this incredible blessing of seeing God in this huge dense cloud leading them by day and this huge pillar of fire at night. And yet they went off, got all their jewelry, had this big party, threw it all together in a melting pot and made a golden cow statue and they worshipped it. And that sounds crazy. We would never do something like that. It's not like each of us has a handmade heifer God on our dinner table, right? But at the same time, I think about my own life and I think about all the times that I worry. And worrying seems like, you know, a really little mistake, a really little sin, but it's really not when you think about it. When I worry, I'm essentially saying to God, you can't handle this. You say you're the God of the universe, but i got to figure out a way to get through this on my own. Clearly, you don't have what it takes to help me. That complacency is right there. Or maybe that complacency or not taking the enemy seriously affects how you look at those sexual temptations the devil comes at us with. Paul talks about it there. It got so bad. These Israelites who had all the same spiritual blessings as we do, it got so bad they kept falling into these sinful urges that 23,000 died because of it. See, the devil, he loves to take things that are beautiful, like the sexuality that God has given each of us, and he likes to take it and just make it into something that it's not. Maybe you're alone in your bedroom in your office and you feel so alone and you feel like nobody will ever love you for you and it's really easy to go on the computer, it's really easy to go on your phone and think you find some sort of sexual happiness when in reality it's just objectifying people. Or you open up a romance novel and you say you're reading it for the drama, for the story, but in reality there's so much content that's hitting you and you say it's not really making an impact, but you know it is. All these things, they seem little, they seem like they're not big deals, but in reality they're a full-on attack against Jesus himself. Look at what Paul says next. He says, And let us not put the Messiah to the test, just as some of them put him to the test who are being destroyed by the snakes. Our Old Testament brothers and sisters, they, you can just hear them testing God's goodness, right? You know, Lord, why did you bring us out into the wilderness just to kill us? We were, we were so far better off in Egypt. 
do something to change our minds. And then that testing of God instantly became grumbling and complaining. Lord, we're the children of Abraham. We're your chosen people. Why should we have to deal with this whole wilderness thing? It's so far beneath us. I think about myself, and maybe you felt this way too, where it's easy to think, Lord, I'm a Christian. I, I come to church. I study the word. And yet you allow things to happen in my life that I just don't understand. Family problems and financial strain and falling to these temptations I've asked you so many times to take away from me. And the shame that I feel, Lord, I don't deserve for a temptation to ever strike. Why do you let this happen? And if even to this point you don't think that Paul is talking to you and me, he opens our eyes point blank. He says these things happen as examples or written down as warnings for us. And so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. So how do you feel right now? I feel compromised. God had these things written down for me and for you. He wanted our eyes to see them and our hearts to be crushed by them, not because he wants to hurt us or make us feel shameful, because he loves us. I mean, think about it. If we kept giving in to complacency, if we kept giving in to all these temptations over and over again, it takes us further and further away from him. Our connection with him gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And so in his love, he preaches the law to us. He sends consequences for sin because he doesn't want us to leave his family. He cares about you and me so much that he wants us to see where we're going wrong, to see these little dangers that in reality are huge dangers. But it doesn't change the fact that when we do fall to temptation, we feel like we can't beat this. Is there a more hopeless place to be? Then you start thinking about all the, the things God's given you, baptism, the Bible. How could we ever fall to these things? Why do I struggle with this, Lord? When temptation strikes, how can I possibly overcome it? And that's where the hope comes. Because look at what Paul says to you and me next. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to humanity. Just when you think that these temptations are insurmountable and unbeatable, God tells you something different. He says, I have the devil on a leash. He can only go this far and he can't break out of my grasp. And do you know why? Because God is faithful. The reason that there's no temptation that you're going to face that's beyond his power is because he always comes through. The faithfulness that are in every single page of Scripture are there for you. Faithfulness that's there in your baptism, words can't describe it. I mean, Seth, that's why I'm so excited for you. is because you know that you are a child of God, and that means when you face temptations in your life, you're not going about it alone. You're going about it with the King of Kings on your side who will fight for you every step of the way. I mean, think about just all the promises God's given you. Promises that his presence is always beside you. Promises that there's always forgiveness, even when we do fall, and we will because we're sinners. We come before him and we confess our sin, and he promises to forgive us. And if that's all we had to think about today, we could think about that all week and still not get to the end of that treasure. But God has even more to say. God says through Paul to you, 
I will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, I will also provide a way out so you can endure it. It's your faithful Lord and mine who promised these Corinthian Christians, who promises you that you'll never face a temptation that's beyond your capability. But you have to understand what capability means. Capability isn't you going mano y mano against Satan and sin. No, we've tried that, right? We all have. we failed. It's all about God's capability. Through baptism, your capability is connected to Jesus's. See, Jesus faced every single temptation that the devil had. I mean, think about it. As he walked through life, the devil wanted everything. He threw everything in the kitchen sink at him to throw him off because he knew if he did, you and I wouldn't be here this morning. We wouldn't have any hope. But he not only beat every single one of those temptations, he obliterated the devil. He dominated him. He never lost once. When God the Father looks at you, his child, That's what he sees. He sees a winner. He sees Jesus' perfect record against temptation. He sees his dear child who makes him so proud. You have a Savior who will fight for you, who promises to fight for you. When temptation strikes, look at Jesus in front of you and Jesus beside you. Because when you have the King of Kings fighting for you and he's on your team, Satan and sin don't stand a chance. What about this way out? What about this escape that Paul talked about? Where is my escape from all these temptations? Well, just remember that your escape is Jesus. He is the way out. And I know this might sound crazy, but the way out isn't some magical door that opens to get you through the temptation. No, it's, it's actually enduring the temptation. I mean, look what Paul says here. He doesn't say if you are tempted, but when you are tempted. God's telling you that temptations are going to happen. They're an inevitable part of life. They're reality. But he's also telling you not to hide from that. Your strength is Christ's strength. He never lost once to the low life of this world, the devil. And he will never lose for you either. When temptation strikes, seize God's faithfulness. This verse is so often taken in the wrong way. It's not saying, okay, we've got to pull up our spiritual bootstraps and march against Satan one-on-one. No. It's actually saying you take a step back on the battlefield. You take a step back and let Jesus go in front of you. And let him fight for you. And all of a sudden, when you start to see temptations through this different lens, you don't see them as punishments. You don't see them as things to be avoided, but things to actually rejoice in. I mean, think about this. Temptations are the one, one of the most amazing ways for you to see Jesus in action in your own life. I mean, you know if it was up to you and me, we can't stand a chance. We'd fall again and again to these sins. But when Jesus fights for us, we can see his faithfulness working within us. And you start to see temptations not as things to be avoided, but opportunities that you can show love to Jesus by saying, I know that my flesh wants me to do this thing, but I'm not going to do it. Because you're number one to me. Jesus lives in your heart. And he wants to be the number one spot in your heart because he wants you to be with him forever. What temptations give you are ways to see God working through you, his power working in you, and seeing Jesus' love right before your very eyes, real time. When temptation strikes, 
Look at your Savior in front of you and beside you and let him fight for you. The stakes are high, brothers and sisters. There's no doubt about it. When we leave church today, we're going to confront some big-time enemies, maybe some you've gotten to know way too well over the years. But when those enemies come at you and those opponents come at you, don't underestimate them, but don't think you can't beat them. They don't stand a chance when you have Jesus fighting for you. When temptation strikes, seize your Savior. Don't let go. He will always win. And because of that, you will always win. Amen. And to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be all glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.